Welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers parents to grow up alongside their kids for sanity and social change. Through this podcast, speaking and coaching, we focus on our personal work as parents, the awareness, intention, and approach needed to raise amazing humans while we also get some shit done. Join us to radically redefine kids' resistance as an opportunity to nurture skills and values like consent, nonviolent communication, emotional intelligence, body positivity, and respect. We attempt this by practicing powers beyond control, evidence-based tools that protect our kids' personal freedoms, support their skill building, and better align with how we roll as people. To us, this is the practice of parenting, when we can choose trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection. We're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. After this brief intro, you'll hear the audio from our latest live Instagram Q&A. Our live sessions are so much fun. We basically Mm -hmm. show up and connect, commiserate, and build skills alongside our upbringing community. Folks write in ahead of time or chime in with questions and struggles around kids' big feelings and challenging behaviors. We typically explore five to 15 questions and offer our take, our instincts, our goals, helpful phrasing, and ways to parent with alignment and integrity using our resist approach. Thank you for being here and for supporting us. And if you'd like to give your family and upbringing some extra support, please visit our website at upbringing.co to learn about our upcoming membership community, as well as our shop, which is now full of informative guides and inspiring prints based on everything we've shared here on the podcast these past two years. Wow. Two years. (laughs) Thanks for growing up alongside us one conversation at a time. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. I am so thrilled to now have my turn to interview two women that I have been following for a long time, have learned so much from and am continually inspired by. It's an honor today to have Hannah and Kelty back on the podcast. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks. It's such a treat. So I'm going to go ahead and read your bio. Now, Hannah and Kelty have been on the podcast before. So if you missed that, they were on episode 137. But I'm going to reintroduce them because they're well worthy of multiple introductions here. And we are going to get to dive into a whole nother host of subjects today. So Hannah and Kelty are twins, coaches and speakers behind the parenting, the parenting movement upbringing, certified in simplicity, parenting, positive discipline, and trained in nonviolent communication and foundations of the respectful parenting approach, RIE, upbringing empowers parents in over 100 countries to show up and grow up alongside their kids when it comes to daily discipline. Hannah and Kelty's top-ranked podcast, live Q&As, courses, and guides call parents in with humor and honesty, giving them permission to align their personal values with their parenting practices in the name of sanity and social change. Hannah and Kelty co-parent on an organic veggie farm outside Portland, Oregon, that they share with their partners and kids ages four, five, six, and seven. Thank you so much for being here. We are so happy to talk with you, Laura. Such a treat. So we are a little over a week now into, I guess exactly a week into the fall equinox. So the seasons are shifting. So kind of an icebreaker question I have for you two is as the seasons shift, what are you most looking forward to through fall and beyond? Mm, oh man, I think just being in nature. Fall <laughs> yeah. is our favorite season. We're mm-hmm. September birthdays. I feel like there's just something so magical about fall and Kelty and I are big, we like walk, 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 walk. That's just, that's how we process. That's how we connect. That's how we 
do so much of our upbringing work and just the idea of walking through fall and then holding on to that dream like all year. <laughs> what about you, Kel? Yeah, I think most people, well, a lot of our friends at least love summer and they're like, oh, just live and die for summer. And and we're just really ready to be on the other side of summer and, and entering this time, spending time outside exactly what you said, Han. I love that so much. And I know I'm also in the Pacific Northwest. I'm up on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington and fall here is just fall in the Pacific Northwest. I feel like is just so magical. The leaves change. And I don't know about for you all, but for us, it hit kind of quick. It was like summer, 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 and then boom. Mm-hmm. And I'm the same way. I'm an October birthday. So not far behind you. So happy birthday to you too. Thanks. And then you too. thank you. I feel like we're kindred, kindred spirits because I couldn't agree more. And especially this pregnancy, I've been walking a ton every day. I actually just got back from a walk. It's how I also how I process. I just wish I had a a twin or a sister or a friend to take my walks with to I'm definitely like a verbal processor. So it's got to be nice to have each other to kind of talk through everything with. We love it. We feel really grateful for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, before we dive into some pretty awesome topics here, you know, I mentioned that you had been on before episode 137 and I love it. If you could kind of give maybe another quick overview of who you are. I mean, I read your bio, but from your own voices and you know, what brought you to this work and your overall mission? Yeah, Kel, do you want to start? I'm always like, where do we start talking <laughs> about ourselves? No, <laughs> we basically like talking about the hard stuff and why it's the good stuff. And I think that so many parenting resources out there are about kind of changing the child or altering the child or their kind of lifestyle stuff, what to buy, what foods to make, all of these things. And we we love all of those resources. We we need all of those resources. But what we provided upbringing is talking through moments of conflict with our kids, all the interpersonal challenges between parent and child, between parent and co-parent and child, between child and child, basically all of the hardest things. And that's how we kind of began as as early parents with our daughters, just all of a sudden kind of asking friends, asking neighbors, asking people we worked with or for, just what's the hardest right now? What's the worst? What's keeping you up at night? What's making you anxious? What's making you angry? What's freaking you out? What's what's creating distance in your relationship with your kid? That's what we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think as we were early early parents, we started realizing that like we didn't know any of this. We didn't know how to navigate through the big feelings and challenging behaviors of our toddlers and our own big feelings and challenging behaviors as parents. And so I think we wanted to to learn more about that and dive into that and really just normalize that with with folks. So, you know, finding the middle way between joking about the hard stuff and just pretending it's not there, engaging with it in an open, humorous kind of way. And I think that most of, uh, of our work is around discipline. So for those big feelings and challenging behaviors, that's when we typically use what we call the control approach that was passed down to us for generations. And, and we don't want to pass that down because it doesn't align with how we roll as progressive ladies. So, so much about our work at Upbringing is helping parents use powers beyond control and their discipline. So finding ways through nonviolent communication, through all the research out there on child development and interpersonal relationships to say, how can we use connection instead of control? Right. That's kind of the, the basis, I would say, of upbringing. And it's been just the, the crash course in personal growth that our, our kids have kind of dragged us on since we um, had them, what, seven years ago now. So powerful. I'm over here nodding. And I think one thing that really struck home for me is that you mentioned, you know, I think a lot of approaches can, not always, but can kind of focus on the kid's behavior, the child's behavior, disciplining them, controlling, et cetera. But I love how you take the onus and also put it on the parent. And we, we all have our own excuse my French, but our own shit to work through and we're not perfect. And our kids are often behaving in a way that's kind of directly correlated to our behavior. 
because we're human too. And we have right. behaviors, you know? So I just, I think that that's such a powerful way to approach it. And I love the way that you approach it through that lens. And then also with a hint of humor. So it's like, yeah, we can own our stuff that we need to work on, but also approach it from a place of like, we're not bad. We're not awful. We are humans with space to grow and we can own that. And sometimes we can laugh about it too, because especially with the past, what, almost two years now, I think owning it with a little bit of humor is important. Oh yeah, absolutely. Talking about discipline, everyone just like immediately starts clenching and it's like, okay, let's chill, let's chill out a little bit. It's going to be okay. It's going to yeah. be okay. It might even be a little fun. And talking about, I like how you speak to that, Laura, the, that we're growing up alongside our kids. So we always say we're all growing up together. And that's the idea is that we're not here to just be teaching and growing and raising these kids. We're actually learning and growing ourselves through the process of just being in relationship with them. And so reconciling that, accepting that and working with that is kind of the, the, um, the process and the practice. I love that. It's like acceptance versus, like you said, the clenching, which is totally just closing off. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your work. I, I personally really love your Q and A's. I think you take them off Instagram, you record them and they also a podcast, correct? And I just, I love the way you just take people's questions in the moment and you really just dive in and it's kind of like nothing is off, off, off limits there. So if y'all haven't already followed them, what is your Instagram handle while we're, while we're chatting about that? It's just, is it just upbringing? Trying to remember. Yeah, it's also upbringing.co, just like our website. Okay. That's right. Okay. And those, you know, you can get your, your actual questions answered and their podcast is also amazing. So I'm sure at the end we'll, we'll drop all the places to find you, but I just wanted to touch on that because I just think it's so, so awesome. And very genuine and authentic, which I really appreciate. You're not like hiding in in a corner, just putting content out. You're actually having conversations and growing along with the people that you're helping, which I think is super cool. So, okay, well, I, we have a number of topics to dive into and I know you have a course launching as we speak or very, very soon. And so we're going to kind of dive into some good stuff, some tough stuff. And then you actually have a great resource that people can go and then utilize if they want to dive in more deeply. So let's get to it. <laughs> As our audience knows, I am nearing my third trimester uh, with our second baby. I, we have a four-year-old daughter. And so a lot of these topics, it works out really well because selfishly, I am looking forward to learning from you. And I know we have a lot of listeners who've reached out saying like they're in a similar situation as me where they have an older kid about Evie's age and they're expecting a second. And so the first topic that I want to dive into is just that uh, you chat a lot about preparing and supporting older kids when bringing a new baby home. So what are your main takeaways or pieces of wisdom in this area? Oh my gosh, I love this topic so much. And I like talking about things that are also pertinent to like you and who we're talking to. Mm-hmm. So feel free to jump in with your own personal experience or ideas. <laughs> okay, you don't have um, to ask or, me twice. <laughs> okay, good. But I think, I, I feel like, oh gosh, bringing a, a new baby home, adding to your family in any way is like, I feel like it can be one of the most exciting things and it can also be just one of the most daunting things. And I think that it's something that's just very unspoken. I think that with the first baby, everyone's there. They're all supporting you, you know, if you're lucky enough. And then when you have the second baby, the third baby, the fourth baby, they're like, oh, it's not their first rodeo. They're good. And I think something Kelty and I have noticed in, in our upbringing community and personally is that oftentimes parents need even more help the second time or the third time or the fourth time around. So that's why we created the Right From The Start baby course. But specifically talking about supporting the older siblings involved. I think the reason we want to talk about that is because they are such an integral process, uh, part of the family. And I think that it's really easy to kind of overlook them as we're focusing on ourselves, as we're focusing on this new baby. It, it's a tricky situation and not many people talk about how hard it is. They're like, oh, we're good. We're okay. Mm-hmm. And they're like dying inside. They're like, it's just yeah. more to love, more right. people, more relationships. And it's also more stress, <laughs> more noise, 
more dissonance, more needs that need to be met, more juggling. So it's a lot of both. And I like that you said that, Hannah. It's, it's a lot to be excited about, but there's gonna, it's going to come, you know, come along with it will come a lot of stressors and a lot more complications mm-hmm. for sure. I think so much about this, like you said, Laura, is like, we don't want this to be like a cautionary tale, like don't have more kids or this is going to be a <laughs> shit show. We're not like out to scare folks, but we want to normalize the the challenges that might arise, the beautiful things and the harder things, especially when when a new baby comes, right? I think for me personally, I I felt like I was losing my older child. That was the way I experienced that one of the biggest challenges for me. I felt like, oh my gosh, she's not my baby anymore. My daughter was two when my son was born. And it was really hard for me to give a lot of control also over to my partner, who was now kind of more of a primary parent with her as I was seeing to my son. And I think that was something that I, I felt like I'm ruining the family by having another baby. I'm ruining our, our three musketeers-ness. You know, I, I had to grieve a little bit. And, and it took me by surprise when it happened because I, I wasn't prepared for that at all. Yeah. What about you, Kel? I just remember feeling like my head was going to explode because <laughs> I had a very spirited two-year-old daughter with a lot of needs. And then I, I just, I really thought my, my son is going to be just like Hannah's son. He's going to be so quiet and so sweet and so easygoing. And he wasn't, he was the exact opposite. He was very similar to my daughter. And so it was just a lot of crying in the house, mm-hmm. a lot of stress, a lot of tough behaviors from my daughter. And it's, I think a lot of, a lot of times, many of us have that second or third or fourth kid our older kids are going through not just a stressful situation in this transition, but also developmental milestones that might predispose them to be pushing back against things, to be resisting, to be having more meltdowns or more challenging behaviors. So so I was dealing with a lot of that, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's our instinct so often when we when we add to our family to say, we want harmony, we want perfection. And we're going to have to then put a little bit of pressure on these older kids to get with the program, right? To, you know, you're the big brother and sister now, right? we got those high expectations. Oh, you're going to love the baby, right? Again, we want them to adjust well to that change, you know, or we punish them for, like you said, Kelty, their developmentally appropriate challenges because we're stressed. And so I think so much about preparing for a new baby or a new child in the home is saying, how can we prepare ourselves that this is just innately going to be challenging? It's going to be hard and that's okay. And how can we see our time and this transition with our the children we already have as something we can be doing side by side, something we can be doing together using connection rather than control, like we'd mentioned earlier. And so we have three kind of quick ways. If we could go through them, if you wanted, Laura, we yes, call please. it tell, show, and love. Okay, I'd love to hear them. How's this resonating with you right now? Uh, like, are very you well. Had, had concerns, you know? I'm just trying before. not to get. So, my daughter, she's four, and she'll be four and a half when the baby comes, and she is just like over the moon. And I've tried to talk to her about, like, you know, do you have any concerns? Are you challenges or anything? And, you know, she's just like, this is, this is the best thing ever. I wish baby was here now. <laughs> so, it's like overwhelmingly positive, and she kisses my belly. I mean, all of it. So, I'm trying to remind myself, like, this mindset for her is going very well could possibly shift when the baby's actually here and the reality of it all sets in. So at this point, you know, we haven't had any like 
shifts or behavioral changes because I'm pregnant, but I imagine things will be very different when the baby's actually here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful, though. <clears throat> Congratulations. That's Thank amazing. <laughs> that feels good. I, I love that you're opening up the conversation for her to also share concerns, which is so great because it's so easy for us to get in that cheerleader mode. It's going to be great. You're yeah. going to be so happy. It's going to be wonderful. And, and they mm-hmm. believe those things, too, even if they might not, not necessarily be feeling it 100%. Mm-hmm. But and I then I imagine sometimes us- they feel they feel like they're they're screwing up if because they don't feel the way that everyone's saying they should feel or there's something mm-hmm. wrong with them it's got to be so hard <laughs> exactly yeah that's why we, number one on our like little trio of of tips is to tell and so mm-hmm. how do we tell our kids how do we inform them about what the heck is going on i think it's hard enough it was hard enough for me to like realize there's a baby in my tummy like for the second time i'd already been through it one time and it's still just such a strange kind of idea and i think we can often, you know, folks come to us and they're like, I don't know if I should share a lot of information to my older child, if I should just not mention anything really. You know, I think we often will tell them how to feel, like you mentioned, Laura. We focus on the feelings. And I think something we want like to encourage parents is to just focus on the information and figure out what that just right of information is based on your kids' development and their response to your information, because that can be really securing, right? Yeah. So we try to keep it just kind of kid led, right. Mm -hmm. And kid relevant. So they don't need to know how much time we're taking off work necessarily. They need to know things like where they will be when we're at the hospital Mm -hmm. or how this is going to actually affect their life day to day, or so-and-so is going to pick you up. You know, once baby comes, so-and-so is going to pick you up for daycare. That'll be different, Mm -hmm. you know, or here's the hospital. This is where it is on a map. You know, mm-hmm. I think remembering too, like just like so many conversations with our kids, telling them and giving them information is an ongoing process. So it's not like, well, we told you that one time, or why do you keep asking the same question mm-hmm. over and over? I think understanding is a process. And so helping and, and reminding ourselves that this is going to be an ongoing conversation. So something that helped me tell my daughter and myself what was going on was creating a little book. So older kids can make that book. Your daughter could definitely be participating with it. But when she raises questions or when a piece of information comes up, we can just draw it in the book. So it can be written down. It can be drawn. They can color it. I mean, it could be like baby name ideas. It could be anything that helps, you know, map to the hospital or to grandma's house. It can be any type of information that just helps them visually process what's going on a little bit. Kelty, you got your daughter like an anatomical doll, which I think really Mm -hmm. helped with the information tell portion. Yeah. Yeah. That really helped too. I would love if you don't, if you have like the name of it or if you have a recommendation for that, because she's been asking for a doll and I think I'd like to get her like a baby, like a baby wrap or carrier too, like a a doll sized one Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I'm like really into baby wearing and I know that I'll be wearing this baby a lot. And so I think it'd be fun for her to be able to do the same. Yeah. And I think it, the, the baby thing is just so great because it just puts it all in context. So, yeah. so much of the information can go back to the baby. And then they can also see, which kind of moves us into the show number two okay. section of where's the baby going to be during the day? I'm going to be holding it so they can see you holding the baby. Oh, the baby will be up on the changing table. They can start to just kind of contextualize the information with the environment a little bit. And then also once the baby comes, that baby becomes theirs. Mm-hmm. So they can hit it, they can love on it, they can do whatever they want with it. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of released to them yeah. in that way. I think it's yeah. easy for us to to not really think about the changes that might happen kind of environmentally until that baby comes. And that baby coming is going to be a bomb for, for our older kids anyway. So thinking about the environment and the routine and all those things and asking ourselves, what can we be shifting or changing now? Are we going to have a crib set up in our bedroom and in the spare room? Are we going to have 
three changing tables. Let's get those set up. Let's have our kids help us stock them with diapers and all those things now, mm-hmm. right? Are they? Are we going to have like a Bob stroller? Let's get that out front. Let's let's normalize its presence as well. Let's let them play around with it. Let's muse. Where will baby be in this? Mm-hmm. Oh, they'll be in the car seat. Okay, we've got the car seat here, right? Mm-hmm. Or I wonder if this, I wonder when baby comes, if I'll be sitting holding her here, where will be my spot? Where will you be when I'm feeding the baby? Mm-hmm. Right. So they can start picturing it in real life. Right. Yeah. Like you said, Kelsey, just the baby being around is going to be a, a big enough transition. And then just their environment changing. I know your daughter, Kelsey, was, is really particular about things changing in the environment. Mm-hmm. You move this chair or you messed with the pillows mm-hmm. on my bed. Ah. Uh-huh. And so I think so much about it was, I, I think, and I think you learned this, the, the more challenging way was that you didn't have all of those things set up when your son arrived because mm-hmm. you were like, not my first rodeo. Mm-hmm. We'll just be carrying him around, doing all the things. And it was a lot. And your daughter was getting into everything, experimenting with everything mm-hmm. when you had a newborn. And that was really challenging. So I also learned this the hard way with thinking about not just the environment, but with the routine. So I didn't think, oh, I'm going to have had a C-section and I'm probably not going to be able to do breakfast with my daughter anymore. And so I probably want to segue her papa doing breakfast before the baby comes. So so all of that can, all the stress can kind of be spread out in, in tiny little pieces, you know, over a month or two instead of like, bam, all at once. So I definitely learned that the the more difficult way as yeah. well. I think it can yeah. just make a list of things that are going to change in ter- or could change even and think logistically, which ones could we do now? Mm-hmm. Which ones could we begin that transition of now maybe dealing with a little bit of resistance to that without a baby here also. Mm-hmm. So can, you know, Papa start doing nighttime bath or maybe we don't join in and do bath together anymore all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, can I watch my child play from sitting on the couch where I'm probably going to be nursing a baby mm-hmm. or feeding a baby rather than on the floor with them constantly because it's going to be going to be hard for them to have that distance, you know, where maybe I'm holding them all the time. Keep holding them all the time, but just consider maybe start setting some little boundaries here and there, which sometimes happens anyway, if you're carrying the baby, you know, but spread out that transition with the environment and routine, I think is kind of the point of number two. I love that so much. That's, we've started to pull out like clothes and, and whatnot. And we like to bed share. So we just want, kind of want to make it so like Evie wasn't giving up her room or her space. So we're kind of keeping the newborn stuff in our room for now until we'll be transitioning into somewhere else, I'm sure. So it's all very, very helpful. We don't have a lot of stuff like baby stuff. That's we tend to be a little more minimal when it comes to that kind of thing. But I think the routines and those rituals, that's going to be really huge to start to transition those ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. it. Thank Whatever you. feels good though. And yeah. I think remembering with the, with the kids too, them seeing all of these things might increase their stress a little bit. And yeah. so having it happen ahead of time can, can support them. And I think same with telling them sometimes speaking directly about the baby Kids will be like, la, 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 I'm not hearing you. I'm avoiding, I'm denying. No, there's no baby. They're not coming into this house. I mean, kids experience this in so many different ways. And so finding other ways to talk about the baby, looking through baby pictures of of our older kids and talking about it through a lens that is more pertinent to them, using symbolic play to talk about babies with Legos. We can get creative in, in kind of transitioning them through the information and the routine and the environment. And then number three is just showing up and providing emotional support, which is the love step, I think, which is oftentimes almost the hardest, I think, right, Kel? Absolutely. I think yeah. that that with that transition will come challenging behaviors. Maybe your daughter will just be like, yes, still loving this baby. I'm all over this. I'm little errand runner, kiss the baby, gentle hands, all the good things. 
but maybe she might struggle a little bit with quote unquote regressions. A lot of folks we work with, uh, they're like, oh my gosh, no new sibling. It's amazing. But they've regressed to diapers again and, and they're waking up 10 times a night and all these other things are are happening. They're having meltdowns, you know, three times a day. So I think we always just encourage folks to mentally prepare for just it, it coming out the way it comes out. Sometimes it's directed at the baby, whatever it is. They want to go bop it or they won't hold it or they don't like it. Sometimes that that stress basically is directed at us, right? Like, no, I want mama, not papa, or go away, or I don't want you. Or it might just come out in little behaviors, poking behaviors or regressions or challenges, sleeping or not wanting to eat certain mm-hmm. foods anymore. So mm-hmm. basically anything can happen and it's all good, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, all stress behavior. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we like to think of it as just helpful information and it can be really triggering to us as parents, I think, especially when we have a baby and we're like, I need you older kid to be putting your shoes on and pulling your pants up and clearing your plate and doing all of these other things. But so I think we always say, oh, give your child grace, reduce the demands on them. Don't up those demands, you know, give yourself grace, reduce the demands on yourself, you know, practice those powers beyond control. Let some little things go, you know, look at your child. I think a huge part of this love step is remembering that our, our older kids are still babies inside. We're all still babies inside and, and remembering that that we need to afford them the same things we would a, a crying baby. It just looks a lot different when their stress behavior is aggressive or mm-hmm. whiny or, you know, not listening or any of those other things that that make us be like, okay, something's wrong with them, something's wrong with me. This doesn't feel so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we also like to encourage folks to just call out that baby elephant in the room. You know, it's <laughs> it's so hard when you're wanting things to go well and you're wanting everyone to feel good yeah. when that's your goal to bring it up and say, oh, it's hard, or it could be hard. It might be really tricky when the baby comes. Or wow, this last week with the baby here, we're all really trying to get used to that. And we've had some big feelings, you know, and really normalizing the fact that our kids might not feel positively about the baby 100%, even if they're not even sharing that with us, Mm -hmm. right? And just even if we could make a goal for every day, once a day, find a way to say, things are hard, things are different, I'm here. Do you want to say, do you want to share anything? Mm-hmm. And just trying to normalize that transition, normalize those challenges, whatever they are, instead of sweeping them under the rug or just focusing on the positives or praising the crap out of all the great things our older kids are doing, right? Call out that, that elephant in the room. I love that. Calling it what it is. So then they don't mm-hmm. feel like they're alone in their frustrations or their feelings. Yeah. Like, it's it's like, like liberating for us. Yeah. I think the more we can practice being like, this sucks. Like, I love the baby and this is so hard. Yeah. It, it actually feels freeing to, to be honest with yeah. someone. And it allies us with those yeah. older kids too. I think the whole, I mean, we can so easily gaslight our kids mm-hmm. being like, what's your problem? This yeah. is supposed to be wonderful and perfect. And we're a happy family now. And why, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And I think we always think of the faber Maslish quote from Siblings Without Rivalry. Like, how would it feel if, you know, we took this child context and put it into an adult context. What would happen if your partner said, we're bringing home a new wife or a new partner? It's going to be great. You're going to love them. Why are you so angry? You guys are going to be best friends. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. I'll be spending less time with you, but that's okay because now we'll have her and she's so cute like you used to be. Right. Right. You're the older, mature one. Be like, so oh like my it. God. That's brutal. <laughs> I always, I always find it so interesting to put things in context as if someone were saying it to me. 
like yeah. the way that I talk to my kid or, you know, I saw something the other day that was like, this is kind of unrelated, but and, and it's also related as like, as a child, like imagine if as an adult, you were having a really hard time and you were asking for attention. And instead of like getting that love and that support, someone said like, go to your room. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know you got sent to be alone it's like very like that kind of thing when you put it in context like that it's like man yeah like how would you feel in the situation it's it's mm-hmm. very powerful empathy is incredibly powerful mm-hmm. ongoing practice for sure mm-hmm. yeah and and i think it just brings up and raises the idea of conflict in general so conflict and challenges between us and our kids and then eventually that conflict between our older kids and these these new babies right yeah, which that's a perfect segue too, because I, I I do definitely want to chat about that. So this it's this is good for anyone in any season if they have more than one child, but just you know, just in general, like helping to support sibling conflict in general as the newborn gets older and is more capable of, you know, that kind of in, interaction. Mm-hmm. We love talking about uh, in our Spirited Kids Club, which we have for for folks with older kids, and then even from our Right from the Start Baby course, where we're, we're reconciling all of these challenges from the get go. Like the minute a new baby is born, we're like, oh my gosh, what is my belief about this sibling relationship? And I think our beliefs can really affect our goal, and then our goals can really affect our role and how we show up in the moment to support them, right? And I think so often, I think we want to question our beliefs. What do I believe about their relationship before it's even really begun or in these early years? And I think most of the time we're like, we want it to be perfect. Conflict is not good because conflict means that they're not going to, you know, be really close. They're not going to be giving speeches at each other's weddings or coming home for Thanksgiving. Uh, I think we can really easily catastrophize what we're seeing as very developmentally normal behavior as like a sign Right. And when we think of conflict between our kids, so this is a two or four year old bopping the baby or talking, you know, shit about them, or this is, you know, once the baby starts getting older and getting into the older kids' stuff, or this is once they're a toddler and they're talking and, you know, doing other things. This is an ongoing sibling relationship. But our goal when we think conflict is bad is then we're like, no, there must be harmony. So our role then we get into the judge, the jury, the hall monitor. And that's not fun because it's not fun to show up like that in front of in front of your siblings. And it's also teaching them something about conflict, about power, about relationships. You can really easily get into kind of that victim aggressor, rescuer triangle thing that's kind of unhelpful. And we're also teaching them, wow, every time I have a conflict, which is basically competing needs with another person, my mom gets really mad or my 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 caregiver or my dad, they don't like conflict. Oh, conflict must be bad. So then we're perpetuating that belief about conflict. And when we think conflict's bad, we don't show up for it. We don't stay in it. We don't engage with it. We don't work through it. And, and then we move on and we bring that into our other relationships. And then it, it, when we're parents, the, the legacy is perpetuated, right? So what do we like to, to talk about sibling conflict? Yeah, I think we just like to tell. basically flip that and say, yeah. if, we, if we can believe that conflict is valuable in whatever form it is, physical aggression, verbal aggression, whining, you know, not sharing all of those things. If we can believe that it's valuable, then our goal isn't harmony anymore. It's connection and learning, right? And when our goal is connection and learning, then we can think of our role, not as that judge, jury, hall monitor, referee, all of those things, but as just sensitive support staff. So more like a mediator, right? So that we can be normalizing conflict so that we can be giving our kids and ourselves positive associations with two people or more having those conflicting needs, right? So we were able then to show up in that moment against all of this cultural conditioning, all of our reactionary instincts to say, this is okay, and we can get through this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Hi friends, Laura here with a quick break to tell you a little bit about one of our absolute favorite products and companies. Our friends at Paleo Valley are on a mission to help people reclaim vibrant health, providing products that prioritize nutrient density in an industry that prioritizes everything else. They believe that every dietary choice and every added ingredient is a powerful opportunity to love and care for ourselves. And we couldn't agree more. I love the Organ Complex and C-Serum for everyday holistic health support. And the beef and turkey sticks are our favorite travel essentials when we're out in the van. And right now we are digging the super greens. They're organic, they're non-GMO, and they contain the actual ingredients that you can use that aren't going to cause inflammation. And right now you can get 15% off of your Paleo Valley order with the code MODERNMAMAS. Check it out. I'm like writing down, I typically pull a quote and I, I, lo- I just love this bit so much. It's embrace. It's like embracing that conflict versus just shoving it aside or ignoring it. I think there's so much power in that because when our kids have conflict, they're, I feel like they're trying to tell us something or work through something or, you know, mm-hmm. something along those lines. So I love that so much. I think it, I think it really calls us to question though, like I, we mentioned earlier, those beliefs and saying, what from our own sibling relationship are we bringing into this sibling relationship? And it's so amazing to find out when we work with folks, they're like, oh my gosh, like, I am totally creating a victim aggressor situation because I was the little, the younger, you know, sibling who was beat up by the older brothers, or I, I want to protect my, my younger son because that, you know, I had an older brother that treated me a certain way. And I think we have to remember that our kids' relationship is theirs. We don't own it. We're not in charge of creating it. All we need to be doing is holding space and sensitively supporting it by just keeping people safe and keeping our cool as best we can. And I think oftentimes we can believe that the biggest predictor of our kids' future relationship is behaviors. So our, our culture focuses in on behaviors, what you do, what you don't do. You're, you got to be nice. You've got to share. You've got to do all these things. And what really is, I think, the biggest predictor of our kids' future relationship is, is just how we show up in those moments. Can we be normalizing the conflict? Can we be seeking to understand the underlying needs and motivations so we can translate that so they can understand why they're bopping each other and doing wild stuff with Legos and, and slamming doors and all of those things. So, so the way we show up in these moments is what our kids ultimately learn. So if we're showing up with yelling and consequences and blaming and shaming, that's what our kids learn. And that's how they learn to be in relationship. And it can get a little tricky. So thinking about how can we show up in a different way that teaches them what we actually want them to learn in relationship, patience, empathy, curiosity, you know, self-regulation, problem solving, innovation, Mm -hmm. right? All of those things. But again, back to what we talked about at the beginning, Laura, this isn't about changing and fixing and putting all of this pressure on our kids to become adults. It's saying, can I accept the responsibility of myself as the adult and show up in this way first? I love that so much. I get chills. <laughs> powerful, really, really powerful. Just shifting that that narrative. And it's like, I think it also gives us permission as parents to not feel like we have to have everything figured out already. We're figuring it mm-hmm. out alongside. And I think that takes some of the pressure off. Like, okay, I'm here. I have these tools. I know the goal. And I'm going to be working through it with a little bit of humility and openness to growth and to learning. Yeah. A lot of power in that. It's actually, it, I think when we start parenting this way with, with siblings or even just through a discipline lens, at first it feels like a lot of effort. And I think what we hear from a lot of folks we coach with is after a while, it feels like so much less work mm. to just be neutral and be patient and breathe and work on our self-regulation to co-regulate our kids as opposed to that control toolbox Hannah brought up at the beginning, consequences on my terms, 
now, threats, rewards, overpower, lectures, shame, blame, spanking, timeouts. That takes so much mental work to manipulate our kids, to think about what consequence they need, to, to figure out who did what and why and get to the bottom of that. It's exhausting. Mm. And so I think what we hear a lot from people is just, I feel so much lighter. I feel so much easier about all of this, deciding that I'm going to be a neutral support person and not have all that pressure on my shoulders that I'm then transferring onto my kids' little shoulders who are doing the best they can with the skills they've got. Those little growing brains, mm-hmm. you know, all based on the belief that conflict is valuable instead of conflict is unnecessary or scary or damaging. I love it. Very, very powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like this is a kind of a good place to segue into because conflict right between siblings is one thing and then we have conflict between parent and child especially we have a lot of listeners who, t- who reach out and kind of to ask about having more spirited or sensitive kids and and I've seen it unfold where that kind of just really turns into or feels very like conflicting like between parent and kid maybe they're having a hard time connecting or understanding how to best support them so I'm curious to know if you have you know, tips for nurturing these wonderful kids. And especially where, you know, we kind of live in a world where it feels like sensitive or spirited can be squashed or looked down upon Mm -hmm. or punished, you know? So curious about your thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we love, we've kind of reclaimed taking the term sensitive and spirited back because I think when Kelty and I grew up, we were very sensitive and it was always like, it was, it was so sensitive, sensitive. so shy, you know, all these things and social And, and our partners were spirited. And spirited was not strong-willed, you know, stubborn, pain in the butt, selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Rude. all of these beliefs and judgments around these these terms. And I think Kelty and I wanted to reclaim the the sensitive and spirited to say that is innately human. We are all sensitive and spirited people. And very often, the sensitivities and the spiritedness is conditioned out of us, or shamed out of us, or tamped down, or punished. Right. And I think when our kids, you know, show up in the world so authentically sensitive and spirited, just with the nervous systems they were born with, feeling this, what we call an inner wisdom and an inner authority. So the wisdom being the sensitivity, I know how I'm feeling, and the authority being the spiritedness, I know what I want to say or do to get my needs met. It can be really challenging for us who don't feel like we can even be sensitive and spirited as adults. And so I think that's the the work is saying, how can we be acknowledging and supporting and celebrating the sensitivity and spiritedness of our kids as we're slowly kind of rekindling and and, and re-recognizing our own. Mm-hmm. But the sensitive we talk about our kids, you know, they all have these beautiful kind of, and everyone's on a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of little orbs and receptors, right? So that's sensitivity is how they experience the world, right? And know themselves. Some kids, you know, hear loud noises, no big deal. Some babies, you know, are constantly hot or cold. Every nervous system is so different about how they experience the world. Do they experience it really strongly? So they cry longer, they're angry longer, they take longer to fall asleep or to wake up. That's the sensitivity, right? And then the spiritedness is what they do with that experience that they have in their bodies. And we weren't spirited kids. We would just, we were very sensitive and we just hold it all in, right? But other kids really express that strongly. So you know that because again, they cry longer, they whine longer, they resist more strongly, Mm -hmm. right? And these aren't bad things. This is all beautiful, open communication that our, our kids are showing us. But our, our conventional wisdom says that that's not good. That's more, right. that's embarrassing. Right. That looks like you're struggling. It looks like they're struggling. 
Right. You know, the hierarchy is being threatened, right? Of the family that we all have. Or just our culture prizes easiness, easygoing. They're so good on the airplane. They're so quiet. They're so obedient, right? We're we're in this bigger, bigger cultural conditioning swirl of we want kids who are quiet and compliant and easygoing because it's not a threat to the power structure, right? Like within any institution, family being one. We want everyone, you know, down below those those heads of the institution to just go with the flow and get stuff done, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of our work at Upbringing is about kind of dismantling that that hierarchy and those power structures and really just saying we're all human and we all struggle and we all are unique and we're all going to try to get our needs met with the, the skills we have and the best of our abilities, right? Mm-hmm. But how? But right? how? <laughs> and that's our resist approach that we talk about too, right? Kel, can you talk? Can we mention it? Bring up the resist approach? Yeah, I, would, I was actually going to ask if you would. I, said, I think we touched on it last time, but I, I would love to revisit it and kind of give people an overview because it's so, so impactful. Yeah, just really briefly. Yes. I mean, we have the, a resist approach, which is just how, but we also have our freedoms model, which is basically these 10 kind of realms of our kids' lives that that we tend to over control, right? And where a lot of conflict ends up coming up. So their freedom to feel, their freedom to speak, their freedom to play and move and express and struggle, all of these, all of these places to nourish themselves, right? To clean themselves, all of these things. These places where, you know, our responsibility is so great when they're really little, when they're babies, and there's this slow pull away as they get older and they get more independent and they get more agency. And maybe they're stepping into that more more spirited temperament and resisting a lot of stuff, right? Within those, they won't brush their hair. They won't take a shower. They won't eat the vegetables. They won't clean up their room. They won't do their homework. They won't say nice words to other people. They won't leave the park, whatever those things are, all good. And they're all connected to our kids' freedoms and their rights, basically, as little humans. So we use our resist approach basically as the counter to that control toolbox. In those moments when we're like, they're not doing that and I need them to, or they're doing this thing and I need them to stop. We just, you know, so instinctually will lean on that control toolbox, just right at our fingertips, right? And so instead, we've created this approach called the resist approach where we can resist that cultural conditioning when our kids are resisting us. So the acronym is RESPECT empathize, sync up, innovate, summarize, and trust. And it's basically just a loose six-step conversation, right? That's based in nonviolent communication and empathy, positive discipline, skill building, essentially skill building. Because as Hannah said before, our kids learn by the way we teach. So if we're showing up in these moments of conflict, using respect and empathy and patience and problem solving and setting loving limits, that's what they're going to be learning to expect from future partners, bosses, friends and to be using, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, they, if we're teaching and showing up with the control toolbox, that's what our kids are learning. So often we work with folks who are like, my kids have been giving me consequences recently, you know, because <laughs> they're learning consequences or my kid is, I'm seeing them treat their sibling a particular way that's so wrong. Oh my gosh. It's because I'm doing that to them. And so I think so much about the resist approach is it goes against everything that comes instinctually to us, but it can also feel very intuitive to say, to be in relationship in a different way. This is the same way we want to be in relationship with a partner or a friend of ours or a coworker. And so the resist approach is something that we can work on and practice because this isn't a, a, a perfection kind of based model. This is a progress over perfection model. We can practice this with our kids. We can practice it with each other. Kelsey and I mm-hmm. use the resist approach with our mother-in-laws, with mm-hmm. one another, with our partners. 
because it's just inherently human. It's not child focused. It's human focused. Ooh, that's powerful. And imagine if we took more of our parenting style into that approach too. It's like, let's treat them as humans, not just as kids, because that's ultimately mm-hmm. that's what they are. I love that. Would you mind going through the letters one more time? So it's respect, empathize, mm-hmm. and then sync up. Sync so up. yeah, so we, so we respect, maybe Kelty, we can just go through a little like ex- explanation sure. of each one or give us a challenge right now, Laura, and we could work through the resist approach with it. Do you have anything off the top of your head? We've had some bigger feelings kind of consistently around dinner time. So it's like typically our, for the past four years, it's been like, I make dinner, we sit down, we eat as a family, we talk about like our highlights and our challenges of the day. But it seems as though for the past, like, I don't know, a couple of weeks as we've been, there's been a lot of transition. Like there's always kind of like big feelings and meltdown, like right when I'm about to like get everything on the table. And so that has been something we've been struggling with because for me, for us as a family, that, that, that ritual is very important to sit down to dinner, but I don't want to like, just be like, okay, you can feel after dinner, we're going to sit down and do this right now. So kind of just working through holding space for her to feel because that is apparently the time when right now those things are coming up. It's usually like right before dad's getting home and you know, she's had, she's back to school a couple days a week. And so I'm, I'm, I can kind of empathize and understand where it's coming from, but I have days where I'm at, it's been long. My husband's been a wildland firefighter all summer. So it's been a lot of solo and I'm like, wow. okay breathe, breathe. And let's, let's do this. Oh man. And I think that's where it's so easily at the end of the day for all of us, we're struggling Mm -hmm. where that control toolbox is so easy to reach into. It'd be like, stop, pull yourself together. Look at this dinner. I made you sit your butt in the seat. I can't handle this or just don't eat. Fine. Go do whatever. Like where we just throw our hands up, where we control or where we just let it all go. And the resist approach is that kind of middle area that it sounds like you're really trying to find and to hone in on where we say, we've got to respect, that's the R, that this is an experience that she's having. And we don't know her experience, right? You're trying to imagine what the experience is, which I think is so great. And respect too also says, what are the needs at play here? What can we imagine might be, be going on? Are we creating enough rhythm and routine? You are. Okay, what time of day? What's her body needing? What's happening here? Are we here? giving information so that she's, you know... Right. Are we giving agency Surprise. so she's taking part? That's where we ask all these questions. Am I respecting this child as a human, right? And so we're like, okay, we're moving through next. Just knowing her experience is hers, it's okay. We move into empathize. You know, when kids are upset, when they're resistant, no learning, no cooperation can really take place without coercion unless we calm everything down. So it sounds like you're processing the feelings with her. You're creating security, which creates growth, right? Insecurity does not create growth. So spend in those five minutes if you can to just be like, how's it going? Just sit I'm on here. the floor. Be like, what's, what's going on? You're not wanting to come to the table. Okay. Right. How come? Or what's up? Yeah. Or what are you needing right now? Oh, you're angry right now. Or you're really, you know, not wanting this. Thanks for telling me that. Mm-hmm. Basically how we'd want, if we were, th- you know, throwing ourselves on the floor, being really upset, how would we want our partners to show up for us in those moments mm-hmm. to say, I see you. I validate, I acknowledge, right? What you're going through is is okay, right? Mm-hmm. And then we move on to the sync up step. So oftentimes, if if this isn't a routine type thing, if she doesn't know that dinner was next or why this needs to happen, we would give some information after we let her put her concerns and her stress and her feelings on the table. What what are, What's at play? Oh, I wish we could keep doing this other thing longer, but dinner's ready. And this is what we do at this time of day. That could be inflammatory if she already knows all the things. It really asks us to drill down to what our concern is. What is our concern that the food might get cold? 
or that if we don't eat now, we'll be hungry later and there won't be any food left or whatever it is. Or mm-hmm. my concern is I'm ready to sit down and I'm hungry. It forces us to get really honest with ourselves. Mm-hmm. What am I actually needing here to sync up on the table with? Right? right? Or I value these family meals right now together because I don't get to see us all together right now. And this mm-hmm. is the last of the three of us before a fourth one comes in. So thinking, getting real with ourselves and real with them a little bit. So we've respected, empathized, synced up. And then we innovate. That's the fun step. So what do you need? What can we do? Should we do a run around the table and then hop in our seats? Do you want to eat on my lap tonight? Do you want to start on my lap? There's, mm-hmm. you know, would that be better? What, what do you need to help you get to the table right now? Based on what we understood through our respect questioning, through our empathizing and listening, and through the syncing up conversation, that can inform how we move forward and innovate. So are they needing more agency? They can serve all the food onto the plates, right? Are they needing more connection? They can sit on our lap. Are they, is their body needing some, some nervous system regulation? Can we take five minutes and do a dance party before dinner mm-hmm. based on whatever we know, right? It's hard to sit in that seat when, when you're tired and you have the whole day on your shoulders as a kid. So how can we regulate their nervous system before? Through connection, through movement, through agency, through humor. What, what are they needing here? And if there's not like a one-size-fits-all approach. You know, the, the more we kind of float things non-judgmentally, they can start having ideas eventually when they're, they're resisting and they're melting down that they can be like, well, I'll, I'll just want to, you know, pour the milks. And you're like, great, sounds good. Right. Or, or I need start you to fly me there like, like an airplane or we do robot carry mm-hmm. where my husband is so great at it. He'll just be like robot carry and then be like, <laughs> zoop, 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 and like put little hands out to pick up and, and then like drop, drop my kids into their seats. But the idea behind it being like our, our kids' big feelings is information to pause, to expand a moment, to say this relationship and this child's needs are more important than whether these steamed veggies are going to feel a little soggy, right? Mm-hmm. We, ha- we have to prioritize the relationship. And very often when we do that and invest the time through this resist approach, the, the behavior changes, right? We move through it and it, it doesn't become kind of more of a thing going on. Yeah, and the last two steps, so summarize is basically where if a, a limit needs to be set, that's where we do that lovingly. And that's probably less around moving her body to the, the seat and strapping her in or something like that. But it would be if we have to hold hands to cross the, the street, we're going to hold we're going to hold their body to be safe. Or if it's really time to get in the car and they're still young enough that we can set loving limits physically like that, I'm going to help your body to the car because we've run through this whole resist approach already. They're still struggling to comply the end of the day. So we're going to have to follow through lovingly and help their bodies do whatever. Or I'm sorry, we still can't go out the door. I know you want to go to the park. I'm going to move my body in front. That's setting the limit in the summarized step. Right. But summarizing here would just be like, maybe mm-hmm. if you've moved all the way through and she hasn't, you know, gone into the kitchen and sat down at the table with you, you just summarize and say, this is tricky. we got big feelings. we got dinner on you're, the table. You're still not feeling ready. Right. right. Okay. And then that's when we make a decision. Do we want to force them to sit at the table, which is creating a negative association Or do we just want to let them have a few more minutes doing Legos or come when they're ready? Basically give up a little bit of our power, which can be really daunting, right? Mm -hmm. And then we trust. That trust trust step is is a huge one that we're playing the long game on this, right? That whatever situation and struggle and conflict we're experiencing with our kids, we want it to be consent-based the way we interact with it, right? We don't want to have to force, coerce manipulate our kids into doing the things we want. We want them to be building those skills in respect and empathy and agency and innovation and all of those things. And so that that does require us at times in that trust step to just let it go mm-hmm. and then start that resist approach over again. Say, you know what, I'm, you're, you're struggling still or you're still not feeling ready. 
I'm going to come back in five minutes. How does that work for you? And we'll try again. Okay. Or, you know, dinner was a shit show. And then later that night when you're cuddling, that's when we do our circle back and the trust mm-hmm. step, right? Had a good dinner. I've been having some big feelings lately. What's going on? And that innovate, that empathy and innovate part of the the conversation we had in real time, we can also have outside the moment mm-hmm. when feelings are a little calmer, everyone's more receptive. The whole receptive. resistive approach conversation can be done outside the moment. Right. You know, when our kids are feeling a little more regulated and we're feeling cozy and connected and we can be funny about it. You know, I've noticed mm-hmm. the last few nights I'm like, dinner's ready. And you're like, ah, no. And then you might get a little chuckle from that. What's going on with you? I feel like, you know, I'm, I just want to help you and support you. And I also want to eat because I'm usually really hungry around that. So what can we do? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can story tell. We can mm-hmm. use toys. If it talking about it, it's a little bit too direct. Our more sensitive kids can be like, la, la, la. It's too intense to talk about. You're talking about mm-hmm, not happening. Yeah, but that's the general resistant approach. And, and it, 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 it's, you know, it's not, again, this kind of perfect thing that we work through and, and spend a certain amount of minutes. It's just engaging in relationship with another person in a way that sees to their needs, sees to our needs, talks about those needs, raises awareness, creates connection, and builds all of those skills that we're learning and hoping that they learn alongside us. So beautiful. And it really, it feels, it feels as though it kind of hits a middle ground too, because there's different approaches where it's all like, you know, super, super just about the kids needs and the parents maybe needs aren't ever really spoken. And then, or it can be other way where it's all about discipline and control and the kids needs aren't really considered. And this is like such a beautiful place where kind of like you mentioned, it's just an open dialogue and it's open communication. It's just what keeps resonating with me. It's like, there's room for communication. There's room for humanity on both sides and there's room for, there's wiggle room depending on the situation too. It's not mm-hmm. super, super strict and like mm-hmm. you have to do it this exact way, which I love too. Yeah. I love that you just say there's room for all these things. And if we can just make our homes a place where there's space for struggling, where there's space for negotiating, where there's space for, for big feelings, where there's space for resistance, where there's space for apologies and giving grace, you know, that's the goal. And needs is it. It's something we talk about a lot in the Right from the Start course. It's like, man, this child rearing thing, whether it's a baby, you know, or an older kid, it's all about needs. What's the baby needing? What's my kid needing? What am I needing? It's right. all the awareness that none of us grew up like having, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think so often it's because of the the way we were raised in our families of origin and then in our greater culture, needs are portrayed in a really binary way. Like it's their needs that get met or my needs that get met, one or the other, right? Winner, and, loser. Right, yeah. winner, loser, good, bad. Like I got mine, they didn't get their shame or blame. And so much about this is saying, everyone's needs matter. That's what we want our kids to to learn. And, you know, not their needs at the expense of someone else or someone else's needs at the expense of their own. That with a little bit of work and a little, as you said, space and time, everyone can find ways to get their needs met because they'll learn what those needs actually are. Conflict is just people who have needs and they don't know what they are and how to get them met yet. Right. And so that's the the practice that we can have in our home and even with our babies, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't just with our, our kids, our babies too, when it comes to the sleeping and the playing and the and the mm-hmm. crying and, and all of those things as well. Yes, because babies are humans too. <laughs> I think we forget about that sometimes. I love it. And they, starting they a, need a lot of stuff. Yes. <laughs> and a lot of attention. So powerful. Thank you for that. We were going to talk a little bit about promoting consent culture in the home, which I think is incredibly important. I'm almost like, should we save that for a whole other episode? But I I do want to at least touch on it because I know that towards the end of Resist, when you mentioned, you know, talked about trust and trusting this process and trusting that you're 
you're doing a good job and that you are building that consent culture at home. And so we could just kind of round out with a little bit on that. It's hard to just kind of squeeze in, but it, it is important. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that. I just, I, for my husband and I, it is one of the most paramount things in our, our home. And the thing that we always make sure is happening if we're going to send her to, she's going to a forest school and we just, it's always something mm. we, we have open conversations with her teachers and with our family and the like no forced hugs. She, you know, it's like consent for me is so important. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Absolutely. I think it's so great seeing so many parents making this a priority in their school and their caregiving situations and even just in their interactions with their kids. Often about, like you said, no forced hugs, no forced tickling, a lot of physical things, right? To be teaching our kids that that they basically are safe in their body and they have the right to advocate for it and protect it, right? And so I think that what we love talking about is all of those other situations that that we kind of might be breaching consent with our babies and our kids that don't have anything to do with kissing or tickling, right? Mm -hmm. Because let's face it, we get involved with their bodies all day long, especially those little ones. So we we talk about consent around dinner table, right? Around talking in words, around schooling and, mm -hmm. and learning things, right? A around cleaning their bodies and uh, like it's around, everything. It's choice, yeah. you know, basically. And, and that goes back to our freedoms model, but saying, gosh, in all of our daily caregiving, in, in the name of parenting, we can often overlook all of these ways that we are anti-consent. Mm -hmm. So we're forcing our kids to eat certain foods at the table. That's anti-consent. They should be able to eat however much they want and whichever foods that they want as early as possible, right? So, mm -hmm. so that they can grow into adults who are attuned to their bodies and intuitively consuming, right? We want them to know that their bodies are their own. So we have to find a way to work through when they resist a diaper change or when they want their hair oily and we really, really want it clean right? All of a sudden we have to say, just because I'm the parent and the authority figure in this home, what am I teaching my child about power and how it's used on another person's body? So even just in hygiene or toothbrushing, it's a consent issue, right? All of these things are consent issues and it can be really scary to be like, oh my God, what have I, have I been breaking consent all through this time? And I think that's the fine line. And again, we don't think go to shame or blame. No one's right. No one's wrong. This is a process and a, a, a practice of awareness building and realizing when we're talking about power, when we're talking about expectations, how much do we have? And then how much can we, ultimately, should we be giving our kids when it has to do with their bodies? And the earlier we can be giving them autonomy and agency over their experiences with sleep, with eating, with hygiene, with dressing, with play and movement the sooner they can feel, again, like we talked about that inner wisdom and authority about how to move through the world confidently and capably and where they can advocate in the, the best sense of the word for themselves as they grow up and then also advocate for others and respect others in that same way as mm -hmm. well. So these practices are patterns, right, that they're right. learning. And the phrase that I think that we recommend when we work with people is to say to our kids, you know your body best. Right, Even if we're like, but they don't, they're so dirty and their nails are so long and they're not eating anything green and they, they would stay up till midnight if they, if they could, right? We have to keep saying, you know your body best. So what can we do? And that's the middle work where we either want to dive in and control usually or let it go and let them stay up or eat bonbons all night or whatever it is. Can we be working the resist approach, that respectful dialogue in the middle? Can we be modeling our butts off? 
Can we be saying, I wonder if, or how does that feel when you're here this? Or how does that feel in your body when you eat this? Or can I tell you my concern mm-hmm. as, as the responsible one, as your parent, this is my concern. It's your body. It's your choice or you know your body. But can I give you this information? Can we find a way through here to meet your needs for autonomy and my needs as the responsible person taking care of you, right? Oh, so good. <laughs> and I think a lot of folks think of consent as like, as outside the home, as other caregivers, as school. But there's so, like you said, there's so much nuance there and there's so much that we get to do from the moment that they're born. I am personally a little bit traumatized by forced tickling as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so I have like we a hard, mm-hmm. I have like a hard, hard no. Even if she's just, even if she asks to be tickled, if she, then she'll giggle. And then if she does any kind of like stop, it's like, okay, we're like, I don't even like tickling her, but I'm trying to like also not put my trauma on her. But yeah, I just, I feel like that kind of thing. And even when she was super little, we did a lot of like letting her know or asking before we picked her up instead of just like Mm -hmm. pulling her out of the crib or that kind of thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to scoop you up now. Like that kind of stuff, just to kind of start to build that in from a young age, because it's got I can only imagine how hard it is to be this brand new baby and like just entering this brand new world. And then have people just constantly moving you around and handing you off. And yeah, we were also very wary of a lot of like handoffs as a brand new baby. It's finding that line of like, helping her get to know other people and, but also not just being like, I'm just going to socialize my newborn and pass her around, (laughs) especially if she's not feeling it, you know? Oh man. Yeah. We talk about that in the right from the start course a lot about, about babies and consent and how consent can be begin right from the start, right? With how we touch their bodies, our hands are, are our love, our hands are our care and we're normalizing the way their bodies are treated from the get go. And so those of us who maybe have our first kid that we were, you know, picking up all the time and doing things to and not talking to, right? That's okay. We can, it's never too late to start the consent conversations and be working that in. But for those of us who have the opportunity to start fresh with a, with a new baby, we can be doing that in so many different ways and not in ways where you're like piling on more to your to-do list where you're like, I need to do a 10 minute diaper change, right? It doesn't have to be anything really, really wild. But I think it's just consent is so much about presence of mind and about awareness. It's not about saying the exact right thing or doing the exact right thing or letting your kid make all the choices for their body. It's again, a conversation. It's awareness, conversations. Powerful. I would love to hear more about the Right From The Start course as we're kind of rounding out this episode. And uh, now that we've, d- we've dove into all this stuff, it'd be great to know where people can go from here to get more information and, and continue to learn. Oh, yeah. Folks can head to upbringing.co to learn more about our coaching, our Spirited Kids Club for those with older kids. A lot of free downloads like our Resist Approach and our Freedoms Model. Instagram, we do our lives that also go on the podcast. We've got lots of helpful side-by-sides with helpful phrasing and mantras to just kind of keep those, those beliefs and those words flowing as you're moving through the practice using powers beyond control with your kids. But the right from the start course is for folks who have a baby in their first year and who, you know, if this is the, their first child, want to really just focus on relationship and the fundamentals right from the start, but not doing it in a particular way, like co-sleeping or not, or bottle feeding or not. It's not about what you're doing. It's about how you're doing it with your baby and setting up that relationship from the beginning, a consent-based relationship, essentially. And then for those folks like yourself, Laura, who are having a second or third or fourth child, this is, and this is for folks who maybe want to do it a little differently this time or who want to tune up again. They're like, how do I take care of a baby again? Oh my gosh, it's been a, it's been a minute, right? Or folks who are like, wow, I already have two or three kids. This is a lot of juggle and I want to essentialize. I want to be like, 
what are the basics so that I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm pulled in all of these directions because I've got a lot of needs to be dealing with. So that was kind of the impetus for us starting the course with our colleague, Jen Lumenlin of Your Parenting Mojo. She focused in on a lot of the research uh, because she's a researcher. And Kelty and I focused in on a lot of the, the beliefs, goals, and roles that we love talking about that inform our caregiving and also the troubleshooting, because we, you know, we love talking about the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's basically just an online course. Um, you can do it at your own pace, right? There are eight modules, and each one has you know three to five short videos in it, and they're just yeah, we just kind of roll through diaper dressing and bathing one module, attachment and big feelings one module, play Sleep, and movement, play and movement, mm-hmm. feeding. Right. And then one on needs and boundaries too, as a parent. That's like mm-hmm. my favorite module of all of them. So you can just take it at your own pace, share it with your partner. Every video is also put into audio form and written in transcript. And then we've also got coaching calls that we do and kind of this circle type community where parents can be sharing as they're going through those modules. Or if they don't want to be part of the community or do coaching calls, they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Everything's sent to you though, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. So awesome. We're not meant to be doing this alone. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot to be said for our gut and our instincts as parents, but we, like I said, like this is not, we're not supposed to be a parent in solitude. We're supposed to be learning from others. And I just appreciate how you've been able to take so much, so much incredible insight and put it into so many different avenues to learn from. So we will make sure to link to everything in the show notes. You can find them on Instagram and you guys put out a ton of you know, <laughs> free content. I can only imagine the depths and the next level that your your courses go into. So thank you for creating and sharing your wisdom with all of us. It, it truly is a gift. Thank you so thank much, you. Laura. We're such fans of you both and of Modern Mamas community. So oh, grateful to have spoken with you today. Such a treat. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Um, I hope you both enjoy fall and all the walks mm-hmm. and the season to come. And I look forward to connecting in the future. And thank you all of you for tuning in and being a part of this community, we are so forever grateful. Thank you both.